I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Nancy A. Smith, Esquire, and author of Untangling Your Marriage, A Guide to Collaborative Divorce. Do you want an amicable divorce? Do you want Do you think your spouse would want an amicable divorce? Are you willing to ask for a different type of divorce process and stand up to pressure from friends and family about how you should handle divorce in an adversarial way? If so, consider collaborative divorce, a relatively new process that is fully legal, radically supportive, and downright practical. You may not know anyone who has done this before, but the times are changing, and you can exert more control over your divorce process than you may realize. Family practice lawyer Nancy Smith is experienced in the ins and outs of divorce from all sides and shares with us the collaborative divorce process in five stages. She's the chair of the collaborative divorce section of the Vermont Bar Association. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Nice to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. Well, besides being the expert, I assume that, I guess I'm really not saying assume, I've been online and I see that you have also been divorced, I have been divorced, so we've also been in the trenches and you are not only the lawyer for collaborative collaborative divorces, but you've experienced it yourself, I'm assuming. Oh, that's definitely true. It was one of those moments in my adult life that brought me to my knees like nothing else I'd ever done before, so... I would yeah, agree with that. I've been there and I've done that. And I've also helped, um, you know, Sherpa people through their own divorces over the last 30 years. So it's a strange gift to offer the universe, but this is what I, um, this is what I do for a living. This is what I know. And um, I was hoping that my book would be able to help people spare them some of the missteps that I certainly took and that I've seen over the course of my career. We've done this for 30 years, and I'm sure you've heard this before, but collaborative divorce uh, seems like a contradiction. It doesn't seem like collaborative and divorce go together. I know in my experience, it wasn't in the beginning, but it did end up that way. So uh, let's start with, I mean, how can you even begin with a collaborative divorce? If you can, if you can, if you can get along with your partner, uh, the assumption is then why are you getting divorced? Right. There's so many assumptions and myths around um, divorce and marriage and the institution of marriage, and it does seem like the words collaborative and divorce might not go together that well. Um, But I would ask the listeners to kind of consider it like a a Zen koan or a paradox where you're going to need your spouse in order to have a decent, healthy, um, affirming divorce. And just because you're getting divorced doesn't mean you're a failure, doesn't mean that Um, that this has to be a shame and blame game. It can be an opportunity for personal growth and development, but you're going to need your spouse to do it. So if you can come together to separate, then you have a a greater chance of not, um, you know, hurting each other and hurting your children and uh, basically emerging healthy and wholehearted instead of bitter and resentful. And I'm sure there are different kinds of, obviously, circumstances. If you're young and you've been married just a few years, there's not a lot of money and there's no children that presents perhaps less of problems if you've been married for 10 years and you have three kids and you have a lot of money and there's just a lot of extenuating circumstances. Does that change things? Well, it may. Um, Every divorce is different, of course, and not everybody is well-suited to do a collaborative divorce. But for people who can think, oh, boy, this is happening. I don't want it to ruin me and ruin my my children. Uh, There must be a better way to do it. If you can at least have that concept, um, then and a little bit of insight, that'll help. And whether you have money or you don't have money, money does not 
uh, you're not immune to the losses, the other losses um, that divorce represent, whether it's a short marriage without children or a long-term marriage with adult children. Uh, divorce represents, I, I believe, uh, a lot of losses. And if you can look at your divorce through the lens of grief, as opposed to looking at it through the lens of an adversarial process, I, I find that clients um, tend to do better uh, for yep. themselves and for their children in the long run. Yeah, and that's a different perspective because I think a lot of lawyers do that. You sit down, you tell them you want to get divorced, and they're okay. Divorce has to do with finances, and it has to do with uh, it has to do with children and it, us. And and that's you're saying that's not the whole thing. It has to do with loss, no matter what your circumstances. It's grieving, it's loss, it's spiritual, it's emotional, and that's just as important, uh, maybe if not more so than the other stuff. Yes, I tend to agree completely, um, Catherine. It is. Um, I tend to say that divorce is 80% emotional, 10% legal, 10% financial. And the reason is because when you start to look at the losses, you lose your best friend, you lose your lover. Somebody's going to probably lose their housing or the house is going to be sold or somebody's going to be asked to move out. Somebody's going to lose, well, both of you, if you have children, are going to lose time with your children. You're going to probably lose half of the family wealth or at least a good portion of it and some of your income. You're going to lose relationships with friends. You're going to lose um, where are you going for your holidays, which is a, which is a big emotional um, impact. You're also going to lose your relationship with your in-laws. And the thing that I think hurts the most is the loss of the dream of what you thought you were creating. And when you have to come to terms with that, um, that's why I think using the, the framework of grief um, could be helpful for clients so that... Uh, they can just kind of work their way through the emotional aspects before you start making decisions about your children and your future financial security. It's really hard to make a good decision when, you're, when your feelings are all upside down. When you talk about loss of the dream, um, and I, I don't see that as an individual or a couple's thing, the loss of the dream is just is part of our, is in our, is, is in our culture, I guess. We set people up for that, for that you have this, it's a dream, and then you get married and you realize no matter how good the marriage is, it's not a dream. It doesn't have to be a nightmare all the time, but it's not a dream. And it's really difficult, I think, for couples to sort of break away from that ideal image of what things were or are supposed to be. Um, and I think you have to deal with that um, as a, well, as a social worker, but as the kind of divorce attorney that you're talking about. Well, anyway, that brings me to my next question. How do you know what kind of attorney does what, and how do you pick one out or choose one? Sure. Really important for the um, listeners to know that they have the right and the obligation to interview their lawyer and to choose their lawyers carefully. And part of um, the collaborative divorce movement, it's been around for almost 30 years. It's almost like mediation was 30 years ago when people didn't really know what mediation was. People would say, what? Medication? Meditation, what are you talking about? Um, now everybody knows about it. And I think collaborative divorce is going to become uh, much more mainstream uh, as, as soon as the clients start to ask for it. So interviewing your attorney is going to be very important. Um, members of the International Academy of Collaborative Professionals, um, we, lawyers that are trained in that model um, use that logo, the IACP, uh, in our advertising so that the clients and the consumers can know that we've been trained in the collaborative model. Not every divorce lawyer has been trained in it. Um, I, my theory is that more lawyers will do it once the clients start to ask for it. So it's going to be driven from the, you know, it's more of a grassroots um, 
proposition so that the clients who want to have an amicable divorce, who want to do it better, who want to have a divorce that aligns with their values, their core values like integrity and mutual respect and transparency, um, and who want to take the time to, to understand their contribution to why this re- relationship didn't work out um, for their own benefit so that they can have healthy relationships in the future. Like Those types of people will be drawn to the collaborative model, and you need to find lawyers that are um, going to consistently uh, support that, those values in you. And you just have to ask for a collaborative lawyer uh, near you, and you could probably just Google it wherever you are because we're everywhere. We're in every state in the country and as well as internationally. When you say training, what kind of training? Is, do, do our lawyers now getting, tra- or young attorneys, getting uh, training in law school? You know, not yet. And that's actually one of my next steps, I think. I was actually thinking about that last night. I'm like, what should I do next? I think we need to train the young lawyers. Um, so some, some law schools talk about collaborative divorce in the family law sections um, in their courses. Uh, that's going to be, I think, the next frontier. Right now, um, the training is individual, uh, the lawyers that are drawn to do collaborative practice, uh, it's interdisciplinary. So, you know, it's not just the lawyers. It's the lawyers that need to be trained. It's a two-day minimum training through the IACP-sponsored trainers. And it's a great network of of lawyers, uh, mental health professionals, and financial neutrals who all come together to practice collaborative divorce as an interdisciplinary team. It's a team approach. So we create a safe container for the clients to work through the intense emotions, have a financial neutral analyze and gather all of the financial data at the same time that the couple is working through their intense emotions. And it's just not a lawyer-driven process. When the couple is ready, psychologically ready to get divorced, then the lawyers, you know, are here and we can help facilitate the conversations to generate options that are going to work for the couple and the family. And then we get the deal done. Um, And so the lawyers are, are here to provide guidance and legal advice and counsel throughout the process. But the client's get to use the correct professional at the correct time, depending on what they need. So the team approach is similar to what doctors have, they've been doing it for a while. You know, you don't necessarily just have your specialist, but you have a whole team working with a doctor to provide the services, whatever your particular diagnosis is. Same thing with lawyers. But what about if, how does this work if one half of the couple wants a collaborative divorce and the other doesn't? Right. So there's some persuasion that needs to happen. Um, if one, it, it's a voluntary process, of course. So at some point, the, the spouse who wants it has to be able to advocate um, and understand enough about it to be able to persuade their spouse to at least go talk to and have a consultation with a collaboratively trained attorney. Because that interview, that initial interview from the client um, perspective is going to be very different when you interview with a collaboratively trained attorney versus one who's not. And then you know, it's a voluntary process. So if it turns out that you cannot persuade your spouse to to go this way, then unfortunately, you're just going to have to find somebody, find an attorney that you can um, work with and still maintain your values throughout the process. And so I think it's important that the individual still realizes how they want to behave, regardless of how their spouse behaves. And you know, sometimes you just have to, you've got to do what you've got to do to get divorced. Um, ideally, your spouse will come to the come to the table and at least be willing to talk to somebody who um, can explain to them what their options are. Do it yourself, go to mediation, do collaborative divorce, or go to, you know, go to the traditional litigation route. Walk us through the process and make a comparison. Let's just, from the time that you call up the attorney's office, collaborative uh, attorney, versus one who isn't, 
and and what hap- what are the, what's the difference just right from the beginning right from the start sure so when you google you know find a divorce lawyer near me. If you look for a collaborative divorce lawyer and you schedule an appointment with a collaborative divorce lawyer, you're going to come in um, or you're going to do a Zoom call and they're going to explain to you what your options are. They're not going to try to sell you a process because collaborative lawyers have no interest in selling you anything. We just want to help you get through the divorce in the best way possible for you, your spouse, your children with some degree of empathy and um, and recognize your resilience and recognize that this is a grieving process. So your lawyer is already going to have that mindset when they come when you come to them, you're going to explain your situation. They're going to tell you what your options are. What, like I just said, the, the basically four options. Do it yourself, go to mediation, what collaborative divorce is, and litigation. Um, obviously, we're inclined to do collaborative divorce. If you called me, I would tell you, um, I'll tell you all your options. And if you wanted to do a collaborative divorce, then I'd be happy to help you. If you wanted to do a litigation divorce, I'm not taking those cases anymore. So your lawyer is going to be able to um, engage with you and, and talk to you about where you're coming from, what might be the best option for you, um, you know, because not every case is suited to collaborative. But assuming that you're going to do a collaborative model, then your spouse is going to also contact a collaborative attorney, and they're going to hear similar initial conversations. Then a team is going to get assembled. A mental health coach is going to be um, uh, assigned. Basically, the attorneys will talk with each other and say, hey, we just got this new collaborative case. Who do you think would be a good match for it? And then we come up with a financial neutral, and we also come up with a mental health coach. And then the clients, um, we engage uh, what's called a participation agreement, which is a, a document that lays out all of your rights and responsibilities, just like when you were talking about the doctors. This is a, an informed consent form, letting you know that by doing an out-of-court settlement negotiation like collaborative divorce, uh, eventually the end result will be a final uncontested divorce where all the paperwork is done outside of going to court, and then we file it all when the process is over. And the process will take as long as the couple needs to get through the intense emotions, to understand the financial reality, and then um, to be able to have discussions when they're psychologically ready to make decisions about their children and their, their future finances. So it's all contained within the process, and that's what you'll basically hear when you have a, an interview with a collaborative attorney. How long does the divorce, a collaborative divorce, usually take? Because, it, yeah. Right. So that depends on, on your level of conflict and your level of psychological readiness. So the more conflict and the less ready somebody is to get divorced, the longer it's going to take. And that's going to be true no matter whether you do a collaborative divorce or you try a litigation case. In my experience, a two-year divorce case is because somebody doesn't want to let go, right? It's emotional. It's not, it's not usually about the finances or anything else. Somebody doesn't, hasn't done the work to, to be ready to accept that this is actually a blessing, this divorce is a blessing, and now I'm going to be free to move on to be my best self. Um, so if you've already been separated, for example, for like a year, and then you come into a collaborative process, it could move pretty quickly. Um, if you don't have children or you don't have any disagreements about the kids, then that piece can get taken care of pretty quickly. Um, it really depends. It can be three months. It can be six months. Most um, states require some degree of separation, you know, usually six months or so. So it's common for a divorce once it gets started, even if you've been separated. Um, and even sometimes people manage to coexist pretty, you know, they do okay uh, before they decide to get divorced. The people who've been separated longer usually move quicker. Um, if it's just new and it's all happening and it's very fresh and the wounds um, and the shock are still there, it takes a while to go through those um, those emotions so that you can get to the place where you're ready. But as soon as 
there's always a breakthrough moment, uh, Catherine, in every divorce where both people are like, okay, I'm sick of the story. I don't want to keep telling myself the same story. I need to get divorced. Let's, let's, I'm ready. Let's, as soon as, as soon as both of you are ready, then, you know, the lawyers can get you divorced in about three hours. It doesn't take forever. Um, I mean, I know some couples who sort of get stuck in that in the middle. They just end up getting separated and then never really get divorced, go on with their lives, but they're still married. That, that's right, that happens. And sometimes yeah. that works for people. And, and a lot of times we do legal separations nowadays because of health insurance you know, uh, reasons. People want to maintain their health insurance, and the only real difference is that you just can't get remarried. Um, and, and sometimes we can convert a legal separation to a divorce. So if someone down the road actually does want to get married, you can just convert your legal separation to a divorce. That's not really a big deal. So let's say you're thinking about getting divorced. You really haven't told anyone yet. You, you know, you've been thinking about it. You maybe even haven't uh, approached your partner, your spouse, um, uh, about the fact that you are considering a divorce. Who should you share this information with first? That's a great question. I, it's important that you start to build a network of um, your support team and, and be careful about who you chat with. So my recommendation is always to the therapist because then you have at least a confidential relationship and you're not going to worry about telling your best friend who's then going to tell you know, their spouse who then all of a sudden the kids are going to know before your spouse knows, right? That would be a nightmare. So you do want to keep it a little close to the vest until you have a plan. And so talking to either a collaborative attorney uh, would be the first person to talk with or your mental health uh, professional. You know, get, get clear that this is what you want. There's a lot of ambiguity and ambivalence about getting divorced. Sometimes people think, like you said, where there's that couple that just stayed together, they don't really want to get divorced, but they're not really living as a couple anymore, but they might be sharing space or maybe they're living in separate homes. There's a lot of ambivalence about whether to get divorced or not or whether the marriage is salvageable. So there's going to be conversations that are going to have to happen. And then at some point when you feel secure and ready to have that conversation with your spouse, you're going to have a lot of support about how to structure and basically choreograph that conversation. You know, you want to pick the right time. You want to pick the right place. You want to have your ideas, you know, written out or practiced um, having this difficult conversation with your spouse when you bring up the D word because, of course, everybody's going to have a a pretty intense reaction. Um, People get scared, and then they feel that they need to defend themselves or protect themselves for something. And so you want to set that up um, carefully and with some forethought. Uh, I set it up. I told my mother first. Is that was that a good idea? I'm not sure. Uh, How'd that work out for you? <laughs> well, actually, it worked out quite well, considering the type of personality she is and and non-judgmental. But and uh, just uh, she had come actually to visit with the family and the care grandchildren, the kids, and my ex-husband. And uh, I said we need to go out to lunch first, and then I told her. But. She just, uh, she has had training in social work, so she kind of put on her social work hat, and she was she was pretty good about it. Didn't try to become antagonistic. That's, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> I'm not recommending awesome. tell awesome. your mother first, but that, I just had to share that share my. Story. No, no, I totally appreciate. It. I'm sure I told my mother too um, first, <laughs> and she was also um, supportive. And it's it's hard. I think you need to know who your go to people are, and then I guess the worry is that if you're if you're person that you tell, if the first person you tell has a reactive sort of tendency and they're going to want to try to protect you, they're going to want to potentially give you like the worst advice, which is to call the biggest shark in your neighborhood or to go to the divorce lawyer that they went to or, you know, not understand that there's the, that the collaborative option exists and that you can get divorced in a new and modern way that um, serves your needs. And so I guess you, whoever you want to chat with, you want to, you want them to 
kind of be aware of what the options are so that you, you're not feeling like you're just getting railroaded down a path that doesn't comport with your values. This is really an important question because we're thinking about the kids when you do have kids. So I'm assuming that the collaborative divorce is going to make it easier on the kids. So let's talk about how, how it hopefully will mitigate some of the really vicious stuff that can happen during a divorce when it's antagonistic and it's not collaborative. Yes. Well, we we definitely keep the children foremost in our minds. And, I, and we ask the couple um, to, to think about what would they want their children to say about the divorce? You know, like if their kids were on the playground and, and one of their little friends came up to them and was upset because their parents were getting divorced, what would you want your child to say? And you'd want them to say something like, don't worry, it's okay, both your parents love you, you're going to have two homes, but, you know, you're going to have a, your parents will take care of you, um, you don't have to take, you don't have to pick sides, uh, it actually is better because my, my parents are actually happier, <laughs> they seem, you know, that they're more fun when they're not fighting with each other, you know, every, you know, it's okay, you want it to be okay, and so what we do in the collaborative model is we set a, we call it the narrative, what is the narrative that you want to tell your children, what you want to tell your family, your extended community, how do you want to explain to people, you know, the why of why you're getting divorced or what you expect from them. And if you can set the tone, which is, you know, we, we love each other, we love you, we just think that we'll be better co-parents than a married couple, you know, something, like whatever the mantra is, we expect that you're going to work through it, you're going to choreograph it, you're going to come up with a plan on when you're going to tell the children, you're going to talk about who's going to speak first, you're going to be really careful about not blaming and shaming and not telling the children too much. People often, I hear this a lot, um, which is, I find, kind of sad, is that they tell the kids too much. You know, it's like, oh, the kids need to know the truth. It's like, well, they don't. They don't need to know that somebody stepped out on the marriage or that there was, you know, infidelity or something else that was going on. They don't need to know that. They just need to know that they're loved, that they're supported, that their day-to-day life isn't going to change that much except for, you know, going back and forth and that you're going to put their needs first and come up with a plan that makes sense. Yeah, and I think I did that. Yeah, and I think I did some of that, and I did it pretty well. Some stuff I didn't do so well. Just a, a, another, you know, thing. To, one of my things to share uh, is, uh, you know, I don't know if I actually said that. It's not your fault. All three of my kids said, we know it's not our fault. <laughs> it's your <laughs> fault and dad's fault. It's not our fault because parents often say that, right? It's not your fault. Yes. We still love you. Um, they were aware of that. That was that Those were not our issues. But, um, yeah, so they reassured us it was not their fault. Um yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah, thank you for sharing that. It's true. Um, they have all kinds of different reactions depending on their age and their developmental stage. And also adult children, um, we often overlook the impact of a divorce on adult children from 18, you know, up. And that's because, you know, they're not technically relevant to a child support guideline or to the court's jurisdiction on custody. But the emotional impact on adult children is um, intense. And there's a great book out there called um, Home Will Never Be the Same Again. Uh, by Carol Hughes, and it really does discuss uh, the impact, uh, the emotional impact on adult children, um, worrying about where they're going to go for holidays, worrying about the finances. You just definitely don't want to end up in a situation where your children are, like, taking care of you. You're the adult. You need to be the one taking care of them and not encouraging them to take sides um, or get overly involved in the details. It's hard because uh, you, you need confidence and a confidant. Um, and so that's why, you know, using your mother or using a mental health professional or even, you know, your, your collaborative attorney um, is better than, you know, just kind of 
randomly going around and, and saying things that, you, you know, sharing with your children uh, inappropriately and, and too much. I think that's one of the biggest issues. And then you mentioned you have adult children and adult children, just children who are over 18, let's say children in their in their 20s, for instance, or even 30s who have their own children. And it disrupts the entire family. You're right. And it's easier to share, I think. Um, You can correct me. But if the children are older, then, as I've seen it, you see parents really getting the adult children to take sides, which complicates things. And they're adults, so it's different than trying to get your 14-year-old to take sides with you. Yeah, the whole taking sides is, is a mindset that I think we need to evolve away from because children love both their parents, and it's so easy to, I mean, frankly, it is. It's just easy to manipulate them to, to get onto your side. And and it's just not nice. It's not nice to them. It, it destroys their sort of trust and faith in, in what they thought they had going on, right? A divorce for an adult child is like, what, what do you mean you're getting divorced? Like, is my entire childhood a myth? Was that all just fake? What was that? And then now, if you're married and you've got children, you're like, oh, God, am I going to get divorced now? Like, is that going to be, you know, is it contagious or is it, you know, hereditary just because, you know, my parents just got divorced? Am I going to now end up in that situation? It just causes a lot of grief, Um and and confusion for the kids. And I think the job of, of the adults getting divorced is to um, take care of themselves and also take care of their family and think about how they want to go through this process in the way that's going to cause the least amount of harm. As people are living longer, um, I mean, maybe this is just speculation, I think maybe you'll see more and more divorces as people go through different stages of their lives and don't want to stay with that person they've been, let's say, for 20 years taking care of the kids, and that's one stage. And then in their 50s and 60s is something else, and you see people getting divorced even in their 70s now, which I think changes the whole field of divorce. Yes, that's true. There's a whole um, movement called the gray divorce, and um, and that happens. And it's it's just all very interesting. Uh, what almost hearkening back to what you said at the beginning, the whole idea of the. Um, you know, the wedding industry and, and these ideas of what we expect, that this is somehow a dream. Um, and it's, we have these ideal images of, like, one person meeting all of our needs forever for throughout our entire lifetime. And, like, Esther Perel, you know, talks about this in her books, um, Mating in Captivity or A State of Affairs. It's just not realistic to expect one person to meet all of your needs <laughs> as an adult. And so I think we just come into marriage with these sort of unrealistic expectations. And then when it comes time to, to talk about how the relationship is not serving um, one or both of you, it's just a difficult conversation to have. But I think we have the tools now and enough insight um, to be able to have a difficult conversation and to, to problem solve uh, from a sort of a resilience perspective, uh, so it doesn't have to just be a nightmare. Well, uh, we only have a couple minutes left, so obviously I want you to give us website and websites we can go to for more information about the book and about the work you're doing. And I assume, I mean, you're going to be doing, uh, you're never going to be out of a job, <laughs> ever. <laughs> um, but collaborative divorce, uh, untangling your marriage, a guide to collaborative divorce. We've talked, we've, you know, touched on some of the issues, but there are lots more in the book. So, um, you know, thank you, thank you for sharing all this in the interview today. Really good information. Thank you so much for having me. And so the website? Oh, Nancy, uh, nancysmithlaw.com. And the book is Untangling Your Marriage is available on Amazon. Great. Great talking to you today. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you.
I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm.